In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will all the kids and teens up through the ninth grade please come forward? Happy Father's Day. Any of you? No, none of you are fathers, right? <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Y'all doing anything special to, for your dads? Are you? I know where you're going, Top Golf, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go home and have lunch, but I'm going to do. Well, not yet, not right now. Um, my wife and I, Mary and I, we, we planted a garden this year and we planted like four or five different types of tomatoes um, cherry tomatoes and Roma tomatoes and you know different ones and pole beans which are like green beans and we had green bell peppers and we had cucumbers and we had melons and we had jalapeno peppers and serrano peppers and parsley and and we had chives and we had strawberries did I say peppermint and basil? I think we had all we, we had all that. Yeah, all, yeah, I had a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, we go. And boy, I tell you what, it's still growing. It's still growing, and I have to tell you, it's a little hot for me to get out there and pick all those tomatoes, especially the cherry tomatoes. Um, but the harvest is plentiful. Lots of stuff to pick, right? So when the grandkids come over, and I think they did a couple of weeks ago, I had them out there, and they spent 45 minutes out there finding the green beans off the poles, the, you know, and pulling them and getting all the tomatoes from everywhere. And I think we got all of them, but I think I need to have them back out because there's a lot of them on there, a lot of them on there. And I thank God for that, for that because we, we just have fun growing them and eating them um, and even giving them away. You think that's what Jesus meant when he said the harvest is plentiful? What did he mean? What do you think he meant? Was he talking about produce? No. <laughs> was he ta- what was he talking about? People? Uh-huh. So the harvest is uh-huh. people. So their people are plentiful. People what? Who know God or who don't know God? People who don't know God. And so they're... And yet so... So Jesus is sending his apostles out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to feed the hungry, to do all these things that need to be done so that they might see the love of God and come to Christ. And guess what? That was 2,000 years ago. Do you think everybody's come to Christ? No. In fact, there are probably more people in the world today than ever before that don't know Jesus. And do you think Jesus sends us out into a harvest that's plentiful for us to to bring people to him? Do you think Jesus calls us to do that? Do you think so? Mm -hmm. Uh You tried doing that, but it didn't work? What'd you do? At school? You were preaching at school? But nobody listened? You know what? You think nobody listened. But you plant the seeds and God's going to make things grow because 
Somebody probably heard. You what? Your toy? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like I it. Do. Yeah, yeah. But I'm proud of you for, for talking about God at church and trying to bring people to Christ. You think that nothing good comes from that. I'm telling you, God's going to use it. Okay? Don't give up on God. God, he sends us out to do what he wants us to do, and then God takes over. And he brings people to himself. Through us, but he brings people to himself. So don't stop, okay? Love people, even if they don't listen to you, love them because they're going to see Jesus when you love them, okay? All right. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you for coming up, all of you. And if you want to get a packet, you can get one from Mr. Nick over here, okay? Jason, come on. I could get up. I'd just rather have help. Thank you. So to the dads in the congregation, happy Father's Day. We do love you. We're proud of you for being there with and for your kids because there are so many people in the world today who do desperately need a a father figure and of course we've got the greatest father figure that we can present to people but you are his hands and feet in this world there was a texan like all of us who was taking a taxi tour of london one day he was kind of in a hurry he wanted to be quick and as they went by the tower of london the cab driver explained what it was and that the construction of it started way back in the year 1346 and was completed in the year 1412. And the Texan replied, shoot, a little old tower like that? In Houston, we'd have that thing up in two weeks. Well, next they passed the House of Parliament, started in 1544, completed in 1618. Texan said, well, we put up a bigger one than that in Dallas. It only took us one year. And as they passed Westminster Abbey, the cab driver was silent. He decided not to say anything. And the Texan said, whoa, what's that over there? And the driver said, I don't know. It wasn't there yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) What did he put? your husband in class one day Mr. Johnson pulled Johnny over to his desk after a test and he said Johnny I have a feeling that you've been cheating on your tests Johnny was astounded asked Mr. Johnson to prove it well said Mr. Johnson I was looking over your test, and the question was, who was our first president? And the little girl that sits next to you, Mary, she put George Washington, and so did you. Johnny said, so everyone knows that was our first president. Well, just a minute, said Mr. Johnson. The next question was, who freed the slaves? Mary put Abraham Lincoln, and so did you. Johnny said, well, I, I read the history book last night, and I remembered that. Wait, now wait, said Mr. Johnson. The next question was, who was president during the Louisiana Purchase? 
Mary put, I don't know, and you put, me neither. I don't know if you thought the same thing, but the gospel reading today sounds a whole lot like a college commencement address. The students, they're all assembled. Their education and training seems to be concluded. Their eyes and their hearts are focused on the world that they are about to enter. They gather in front of the commencement speaker, hoping to receive one last word of wisdom one final pearl of advice and counsel. And then the voice of the commencement speaker is heard to say, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want you to see what's happening. Jesus is commissioning his 12 disciples to go out to begin their ministry. And as they go, he charges them to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he challenges them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons. You might, some of you might remember this, Bob Hope's legendary college commencement address. He begins by looking out over the graduates in this moment of, of staged silence. And then he speaks, alerting them to the dangers and the disappointments of this hard, cold, cruel world they are about to enter. And then he says he wants to give them two words of good advice. Don't go. <laughs> and we know the grain of truth in Bob Hope's words. And I'll bet that grain of truth was present deep inside the apostles on their day of commencement as well. When we reflect on a story like this of Jesus commissioning the apostles for ministry, there's always the tendency to put it in stained glass. And, and to consider it as, as, as their story way back then about those people. However, when we really hear the story, the very opposite is true. The story becomes personal. The events are not trapped in ancient history. They are timeless. It is not just their story, but it's our story. It's not just their names and their faces, but our names and our faces appear on the page right at the very center of the event. And suddenly the story is not back then, but now. It's not about them, it's about us. It is our life story today being addressed by Jesus. He is now commissioning each and every one of us for our individual ministry in our day, in our own unique way. Every day of life is a commencement day. Deep within each one of us, there is this sacred voice whispering to us, challenging us. And the voice says, go. 
the harvest is plentiful. Go, proclaim and live out God's kingdom, which is so very near to your life. Go, give your healing to touch to the sick. Go, raise up the lifeless and the hopeless person. Go and remember it is the Lord's harvest, not your harvest, and it is very plentiful. But there's a crucial question we have to face. Even as we get up and go out from this church, what is it that we can take with us into God's harvest that will make a difference in people's lives? There are many good tools necessary for ministry. We have time today for addressing only one of these tools, and strangely enough, it just might be a tool for your ministry that you would forget to take with you. You might not have even considered taking this tool with you. But one necessary tool I would suggest for God's harvest, one proven resource for building up God's kingdom and building bridges to others, is your weakness. A careful reading of the Bible tells us that God's harvest tends to begin with one's weakness. There's the weakness of poor old stuttering Moses in front of the burning bush, insisting that he just doesn't have the eloquence to speak in front of Pharaoh. There's the weakness of Isaiah confessing in the temple before holy God that he is unclean, that he is a sinner, and that he lives in a community of unclean sinners. There is the weakness of the disappointed Peter, praying that Jesus will please leave him alone because the goodness of Jesus magnifies the shame of Peter. There is the weakness of the formerly proud, now defeated Saul, staggering in blind darkness on the Damascus Road, waiting for God to heal his eyes, to heal his heart, and to rename him Paul. There is the weakness of the woman of Magdala, whose shattered life has been abused, and now it is touched by Jesus, and she becomes whole. She becomes one who, at the empty tomb, hears the resurrected Jesus call her by name. And then, let's reflect for a moment on the life of Jesus himself. What mental snapshot of Jesus draws you closest to him? What picture of Jesus allows you to become most connected, most inviting to hold him in your life? Is it when he is a tower of strength, teaching a cast of thousands? Is it when he is strong in body and temper, tearing up and clearing, cleaning house over there in the temple? Is it when he is somehow miraculously feeding 5,000? Or 4,000? Well, that might be when some of us are drawn closest to Jesus, but I would be willing to wage a bet that most of us are drawn to the seemingly weak moments in the human portrait of Jesus, that of a vulnerable, dependent child in a manger, a tender shepherd with a child in his arm inviting him into the kingdom, 
a figure with a towel bending down on all fours, washing feet, a dying figure on the cross. I believe it is the very weakness of Jesus that reaches and connects with the deep weakness in each one of us, leading us to our greatest strength. The Lord's harvest begins in weakness. Thomas A. Dorsey died not too long ago at the age of 93. Many people knew Dorsey as the father of gospel music, the one who first began to blend the music of blues and ragtime with the songs of the black church. But what many of you may not know is that his greatest gospel song really is an autobiographical piece composed in a time of great grief and great weakness. His beloved first wife died giving birth to their child. And a day later, the child died. In deep defeat, in loneliness, in weakness, in dark despair, this faith-filled man composed that excruciatingly beautiful gospel song known as Precious Lord. Take my hand. The words come pouring out of his broken heart, universal words that reach us in our own moments of weakness when our hearts, too, are breaking, hanging on to God, just barely cleaving to God for all we are worth. The words, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on to where I stand. I'm tired, I am weak, I am worn through the storms, through the night, lead me on to the light. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. You see, it's about weakness. We tend to associate the spiritual life with being strong, being in control. But the truth of the matter is that the life of faith really is born and grows in weakness. God's harvest is plentiful. You and I, we are daily commissioned by Christ Jesus to go into his harvest, fresh every day, we are challenged to heal the sick and to raise up those who are lifeless. We would serve God's harvest well by beginning with our own weaknesses. For that seems to be where spirituality is most often formed. Not in our strengths, not in our successes, but in our universal failures, in our shared doubts, in our darkness. It is in those honest, vulnerable moments that walls come down and bridges are built to God and to one another. Weakness is met by God's strength. Failure is overcome by God's forgiveness. Healing begins to happen. Defeated people, they come back to life. In those sacred moments of healing and new life, if we become very quiet, we just might be able to hear it. The soft 
eternal applause of our commencement speaker, the Lord of the harvest. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.